So for several weeks leading up to today, um, many, many thoughts have gone through my mind about what to say, naturally, right? Um, what, what passage of the Bible should I preach from? Ask that question. What do I want to emphasize and what needs to be emphasized later? Um, I, I, how do I stir your affections to be part of like, a church plant? You're, you're all here, but how do we continue to stir affections for that? And, but the more I pondered and prayed, it, it quickly became clear what I needed to preach. I just need to preach the gospel. It sounds so simple, right? But it's so important, so profound, life-changing. Why preach the gospel? First, I want this church and our lives to be rooted and shaped by the gospel. Those are good reasons. Second, so often in church culture, and if you've been in a church in a church for more than a, a cup of coffee, this is going to resonate. We don't keep the main thing the main thing. In church culture, we get hung up on secondary and tertiary issues, right? I've had friends, you know, through my time in education, where where they argue over the color of the carpet, right? And everyone's up in roar because it's burgundy, not black, or whatever. Uh, there can be complaints that the worship's too loud. It's, it's not loud enough. People have opinions on homeschooling versus private school versus public school and, and politics, right? Oh, my, I have, I have plenty of political opinions, right? I got them. And while it's okay to have opinions on secondary and tertiary issues, many times in holding our views, we forget what is of first importance? What really matters? We can't forget the main thing. And so, we need to be continuously reminded of what matters most in life. The passage I want to look at this morning is 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-11, it reminds us of the need for gospel reminders and why the gospel must be the foundation of this church and the foundation of your life. This passage is going to remind us to keep the gospel the main thing. So let's be stirred by God's word. If you've got your Bible, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll go through verses 1 through 11. Just, just hear what Paul says right out the outset here. Now, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So since moving back to Iowa, I've been intentional to chat with folks in the community. Uh, I've also met with more than a dozen pastors kind of on the western metro here. And in my interactions, I've wanted to hear the answer to this question. I'll ask it in in direct ways and indirect ways. And here's the question. comes right from the text. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ of first importance? Is the gospel of first importance in our communities and in our churches? And of course, the answer is going to vary from person to person and, and church to church, no doubt. But in my interactions with individuals and pastors, I don't think it is a stretch to say the gospel of Jesus Christ, generally speaking, is not of first importance. As a matter of fact, in our post-Christian culture, we should not be surprised by a lack of a gospel presence. It shouldn't be shocking to us. I often recall a conversation I had with a denominational leader here in the state of Iowa, and I asked this question over a year and a half ago, maybe two years now. And over a cup of coffee, this is what I ask. Is the Des Moines Metro, in the Des Moines Metro, what is the percentage of churches that preach the gospel? Just people who go to church. I'm talking about people who don't go to church. What's the percentage of churches that actually preach the gospel? And he he looked at me for a moment and said, 7 to 8%. With a gluttony of churches that exist in this state, this is a sadly low statistic. Now, I, I don't want to disparage other churches. That's not my point. I want to honor and respect where honor and respect is due. But I want to show what is going to be the distinguishing mark of this church. This distinction is significant. Redemption Hill Church is first and foremost about Jesus and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. We are A church on mission with message. We have a message that impacts what we say, it impacts what we do, regardless of what the surrounding culture says and does. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it provides us with a needed reminder of why we even gather here this morning. What brought you here? We need to be reminded of who we supremely value over anything and everything that this world has to offer. And we value Jesus as our ultimate joy. Paul says in verse 1, Now I remind you, brothers, of what? Gospel. God's word tells us that the church at Corinth had received the gospel, right? They received it. They were standing firm in the gospel. They were being 
saved by the gospel, and yet they needed to be reminded of the gospel. Now, I know, I know in my experience from years of pastoral ministry and from my own life, gospel reminders are an absolute necessity. Absolute necessity. Whether you've been a Christian for one day, one year, 10 years, 30 years, we need to be reminded. This Greek word that you see there in the English, remind, is not like Sharif sending me multiple text messages because I forgot to pick up the coffee for the fourth time at the store, right? Um, which is sadly true. Instead, Paul is strongly urging the Corinthian church, and now God tells us, do not forget what Jesus has done for you, and see what God continues to do in and through you. Do not forget. Don't remember when the grace of God was first shed upon your soul when you were saved. Don't forget what God is doing in and through you right now in this room. He's at work. Don't forget God's kindness. Do not forget his goodness. Do not forget the gospel. It appears that some of these Corinthians were evidently far from appreciating what the gospel meant. And oh, and I'll speak for myself, how John Powers can be forgetful. I can be forgetful. And oh, how I can take for granted the most important things in life. Now, Paul does not tell us the specific reasons why he sees the need to remind the Corinthian church of the gospel. But he makes it clear that there were some who were losing their grip on the gospel. That's the end of verse 2. So I want, I want to ask us, what can cause us to lose our grip on the gospel? Why do 21st century American Christians need to be reminded of the gospel? Now, there are various application points here. I'm just going to give a few as I was praying and thinking and pondering. Why do we need to be reminded of the gospel? We needed to be reminded of the gospel because we're prone to misprioritizing the gospel in our life. Just think about your everyday life. Go, 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 go. When life gets busy, God gets put on the shelf or into the proverbial back seat. Priorities get shifted around, not because we don't love God, but because we're not intentional about cultivating that relationship. So we need to fight by way of reminding each other that we need to keep the gospel the top priority in our life. So that's one. We just we tend to misprioritize. We, we know God is number one and life gets nuts, which makes this gathering all the more important. That's why brothers and sisters coming together, encouraging one another, speaking gospel truths together is so critical for me and for you. Got to keep it, got to keep Jesus a priority. Another thought, we can be distracted. We live in a world with so many distractions. My goodness, I mean, Everything is vying for your attention from the moment you wake up, from the moment you put your head in the pillow. I mean, yeah, everyone's got your, your phone, right? How many distractions exist on this alone? It's nuts. Thousands and thousands of apps that we can pull up in a moment. And we, that moment, you're like, you're going to do my devotional, and your phone's there, and all the dings come in, and all of a sudden you forget why you're there. We get distracted, right? And when the distractions compound, the gospel can get lost in the mix. And so, once again, there are times where we need to remove the distraction and be reminded of the gospel. 
one more thought as to why we need to be reminded of the gospel, especially as it pertains to us living in this culture. It's easy to waltz through life professing faith in Christ, but the gospel has little impact on the heart and little effect on the way a person lives. This is perhaps the most dangerous place to be. This is why Jesus calls lukewarm Christianity in Revelation 3 a very bad thing. He was speaking to the church of Laodicea. Instead of Jesus being the top priority and our all-satisfying joy, he becomes the add-on to our life. People want Jesus as Savior because hell is scary and eternal and hot, but Jesus isn't Lord. He, He isn't King. And really, anyone who wants a Savior but not the King has no Savior at all. There are, again, other reasons why we need to be reminded of the gospel. But what we know for sure is that fighting for the gospel means that we need to be telling each other about the gospel. Let me me make my point from kind of a local church perspective right here. This church does not exist to have the latest and greatest light and smoke show during worship. Sorry. That's not what we're here for. There, There are plenty of churches who have the corner on the light and smoke show market. They can have that. This church doesn't exist so that we can make much of ourselves. Again, another hard truth that is true. This church exists because we want to make much of Jesus Christ. That's why we are here. We want to make much of Jesus Christ in this fellowship, in our neighborhoods, and in our cities. And so we will remind each other of the beautiful realities of the gospel over and over and over again. You will be reminded of the gospel every time you come to church on Sunday. You will be reminded of the gospel in our forthcoming community and discipleship groups. When we sing together, we will speak the gospel together. And I pray and hope our guests hear and see the gospel on display after every church service, before every church service, and when you live your life between Monday and Saturday. If we allow it, If we allow it, the gospel is going to get into every crevice and crack of this church and of our heart. If we allow it. And there will be glorious implications when we allow that to happen. And so Paul, seeing the need for reminders, reminding us of these old truths which always need to be new and active in our lives, Continues in verse 37. Paul continues to make the gospel appeal by showing the historical facts of the gospel, which is actually connected to the scriptures, which is further affirmed by numerous people that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. Let's look at the gospel facts, which are tethered to the Bible. Look at verses 3 and 4. For I, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So, so Paul receives this from Jesus, and Paul has been preaching to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church received it, and received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day. Again, we see that phrase, in accordance with the scriptures. Now, remember, Paul was writing the New Testament at this time, which means that in accordance with the scriptures is a reference to the Old Testament. The Old Testament witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Allow that to inform your study of the Old Testament. That'll change how you read. 
Here are three essential gospel facts that we read from the Bible and from verses 3 and 4. Again, they're obvious to us, but they need to be new every day. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried and Christ rose from the grave. Christ died on a Roman cross so that those who would repent of sin and trust in Christ can be forgiven of sin. There is no gospel at all unless the death of Christ can be seen to deal with sin once and for all. Because of the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ, instead of condemnation, there's forgiveness. Instead of bondage, there's freedom. Think about this. You went from being an enemy with God to being called his child, being his friend. This is, this is good news. This is, this is good news worth reminding each other of and telling other people about. And after dying on the cross, Christ was buried and rose from the dead, showing, what did he show? He had, he had power over death. Now, Christian, there is no sting from death for you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear death, but you actually can rejoice in what is coming after death. And again, the paradigm shift. Just blow, I don't have to fear death. There's something better after I die? Amazing. Spending eternal life with Jesus? This world is not our home. And this is more good news worth reminding each other of. And as we've already seen, these gospel truths that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are, like I said, affirmed by the scriptures. Because God reveals himself in the Bible, it is no surprise that his plan of redemption and salvation is evident in the Bible. I love the phrase, in accordance with the scriptures, because it tells me that the Bible points to Jesus. The entire gospel happened in accordance with the Bible. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ should not have been a surprise. If a first century Jew were interpreting their Bible correctly, they would have known that Jesus was coming. And if we are reading our Bibles correctly, we know that Jesus came and that he's also going to come back. The Bible reminds us of the gospel every time we open it up. Every time you take that cup of coffee in the morning and you sit desk or your kitchen table and you open that book it reminds you of the gospel it reminds you of jesus charles spurgeon the 19th century london pastor said to a younger younger pastor this and i i love i love this he said do you not know that from every little town and village and hamlet in england there's a road that leads to london so you got london it's the epicenter of England, and all the roads go to London. Spurgeon continues, When I get a hold of a text, I say to myself, there is a road from here to Jesus Christ, and I mean to keep on his track till I get to him. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about God who is on mission to redeem his people through Jesus Christ. And we, the church, you and me, we have the tremendous privilege to carry the message forward. And so if we want to be reminded and changed by the gospel, we have to get into the book. We have to get our head and heart into the Bible. After reminding us 
of the gospel, Paul does something brilliant in verses 5 to 8, which tells us about various witnesses to the resurrected Christ. Verses 5 to 8, Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, the apostle Peter. And then Jesus appeared to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And he says that some are, most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which means that some have died. And then he appeared to James, which is nuts. We think about James, reluctant brother James. It was like, no way are you going to be the son of God. And now he's following Jesus. Last of all, Paul, Paul says, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. When, when I read these verses, I'm, I'm stunned because when someone with like a rock in their shoe and an axe to grind approaches me and says, bro, can you prove to me that Jesus rose from the dead? I say, bro, and usually that's a biological brother of mine. I said, bro, the burden of proof is on you to prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead because I have access to several thousand ancient documents that record the people who Jesus saw and interacted with after the resurrection. Paul gives us specific and generalities of people who saw Jesus after he rose from the, day, from the dead. But let's just take one example. Cephas, Peter. He's the same guy who denied Jesus three times right before he was tortured and crucified. Peter, who saw Jesus walk on water and then just say, hey, come walk on water with me. Peter was with Jesus when there's 5,000 people and we got a couple of loaves and some fish and Jesus feeds them. Peter, who, who, who walked with Jesus, come to the point where, where he denies Jesus three times. If there is anyone who is going to be denying Jesus and to walk away, it was going to be Peter. And what happened? Peter is utterly changed. Peter went from denying Jesus to denying himself for the sake of the gospel. He saw him after he rose from the grave. Peter was eventually martyred for his faith in Jesus. And Peter was not the only one who embraced the saving power of the gospel. Hundreds of people who saw Jesus after his resurrection began to turn the world upside down by telling their friends, neighbors, and communities about Jesus Christ. Many of these saints were so convinced of the gospel that reconciliation and peace with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. They were convinced that they were willing to die. Now explain that to me apart from the saving power of the gospel. These are spectacular truths in 1 Corinthians 15. And just as the apostles and first century disciples were changed by God, so is every person in this room who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. You've been changed by God. By grace alone, through faith alone, you have been saved by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ alone. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most precious truth this world could ever know. And we need to be reminding each other daily to continually grip the glories of the gospel. Last point, and then I'll wrap up. What else did Christ purchase for us at the cross? Grace upon grace upon grace. The grace of God is the last truth I want you to see from this text. It was the grace of God at work in Paul's life, which is also at work in your life. Just look at what Paul says in one verse. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. 
Now, some people in this church had believed in vain, but not God's grace toward you. It is not in vain. It is with purpose and with reason. And Paul continues to say, On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, these, the other apostles, though it was not I, but it was the grace of God that is with me. Again, he's pointing all of it back to Jesus. Three times in this one verse, Paul says it was the grace of God at work in him during his ministry. Now, no one in this room is the great apostle Paul, but the truth of what Paul says remains. The gospel that saves is also the gospel that provides you sustaining grace. By God's grace, you are who you are. By God's grace, you are sustained every day. By God's grace, you are reminded of what is of first importance. And by grace, you continue to grip what is of first importance. His grace is at work in you and in this small church. What I said at the beginning of the sermon is that the gospel needs to be the foundation of this church and the foundation of your life. We should not be planning this church unless the gospel of Jesus Christ is our foundation. That is what we're here for. That is why we exist. That's why we have sacrificed so much to come together, leaving family, friends, other churches. It's God's grace at work in your life to be on mission with God as well as the gospel.